It's the 18th of May, 2018. This is the Room Now Week in Review. Hi, I'm Dr. Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. This week in the news, a new drug for polyarticular JIA. Opioids are again all over the news, and there's a lot of news about modifying behaviors and how it affects outcomes in rheumatology. So this week in the news, we'll start with a study about osteoarthritis and data from the Osteoarthritis Initiative. This is a 10-year study, large study, looking at 1,203 patients, specifically looking at a number of uh, things that may influence x-ray outcomes, clinical outcomes. And in this particular study, they examined the effects of self-proclaimed running on the outcomes. And what they found in men over the age of 50 who had knee osteoarthritis, that self-proclaimed running was in fact associated with less knee pain, not worse knee pain, and was not associated with radiographic deterioration and more knee OA over time. Again, this goes to the data that's pretty well known that running per se does not cause osteoarthritis or cause arthritis in general. When it does, it's because there's an alteration in mechanics, that your mechanics are not normal to the point that the cartilage gets damaged and degraded. But if you have normal mechanics, um, being overweight doesn't make a difference, um, uh, and, and hence running is good, whether you're normal or of high weight or whatnot. So I think it's encouraging for those of us who advise our patients with regard to running and what the consequences of that may be. Uh, Genetech announced this week that they have a new indication for uh, polyarticular JIA and their drug tocilizumab. Uh, the drug was approved in a subcutaneous form for kids with poly severe, moderate to severe polyarticular JIA, uh, and it's a sub-Q form that's approved. The doses are, for those above 30 kilograms, the dose is going to be the usual 162 milligrams sub-Q every other week. For those under 162, it's every three weeks. So it's a little bit different. It's a, they're using the same uh, uh, syringe and, and materials as we use in adults, but it's just the alteration in schedule according to weight. Interestingly, that there are differences when you compare the less than 30 to the over 30. The less than 30, again, getting it less frequently every three weeks, and the over 30 getting it every two weeks. Those who had uh, the, um, the more frequent doses, uh, uh, there was a 28% chance of getting, actually o overall in the, in the study, a 28% chance of getting ISRs, injection site reactions, a little bit higher than that seen in adults who received tocilizumab. Uh, what I thought was surprising was the frequency of neutropenia with poly counts less than, or neutrophil counts less than 1,000. This was actually quite common in those under 30, 30 kilograms in weight, 26%, versus those over 30 kilograms in weight where it was only 4%. So for those that are getting it um, every three weeks and, uh, and who are under 30 uh, kilograms in weight, you probably need to watch that CBC a little bit more closely. Rheumatoid arthritis patients, as you know, have a greater risk of developing vascular complications, including uh, cerebrovascular events or CVAs. In a study of 7,900 patients, um, they looked at the risk of developing CVAs. They showed overall that RA patients in this cohort had a 21% increased risk of CVA, but they also showed that therapy could modify those outcomes. Specifically, being on methotrexate would, would significantly reduce 
the chance of having an ischemic stroke, uh, but only for the first seven years of study. After that, there was no, uh, there's no protection. In fact, it looked like it might have been slightly higher. It turns out that uh, hydroxychloroquine and sulfazalazine did not affect the ischemic stroke risk in this study. So this data sort of parallels that scene in the uh, RA patients who were treated with methotrexate and their reduced risk of cardiovascular events, suggesting again that if you control inflammation, you can now control the vascular consequences of uncontrolled inflammation. Walmart sort of stepped up in the news this week and, and grabbed a headline by changing its policy. They announced that in accordance with CDC prescribing recommendations, that they were going to change, or they will change soon, their uh, limits on opioid prescriptions such that uh, opioids will only be prescribed uh, for seven days at a time uh, going forward. This is an, an attempt to curtail abuse, uh, and, but is it really, or is it an attempt to also contain costs and stay out of the news? Uh, again, I, I, I applaud efforts to educate and try to reduce the risk of opioid abuse. The problem is that patients who need medicines for pain are really taking it in the shorts. This is really unfortunate and it doesn't seem to stop. It's getting more and more difficult for people with pain to be adequately treated for pain. Uh, and it's, I think, a struggle for the clinicians and certainly a big struggle for patients. Uh, UAB announced this week that they would be doing the recipe trial. The recipe trial is going to be a relatively small study. I think it's 30 patients or something like that in three centers. It's going to be in, in uh, Tampa and uh, somewhere in the north and also at UAB, University of Alabama at Birmingham, uh, to do the study in gout where they're going to test the utility of background mycophenolate therapy in patients receiving uh, peglodicase therapy. As you know, peglodicase uh, is a highly effective drug uh, in patients who have severe uh, recalcitrant tophaceous gout. It's been shown to res uh, dissolve uh, tophi and uh, make that uh, elevated uric acid go down to almost undetectable levels. Uh, and one of the risks uh, are infusion reactions that seem to go up when patients develop antibodies to the, peg the pegylated portion of the molecule. Uh, and that therefore inactivates the drug, makes it less effective, but also will then lead to a sudden rise in uric acid levels as a sign that you have an immunogenic interference. So one of the ideas uh, behind maybe more effective ways of using this drug is to give a background immunosuppressant that wouldn't affect the uric acid levels, like for instance, leflunamide, um, but might suppress autoantibody production. Uh, I've done this in patients using um, azathioprine, as has uh, Michael Pillinger. He's sort of published on that a little bit. But uh, now the company is stepping up and doing a study using mycophenolate as their background therapy. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if, if this uh, study would shed further light on maybe a better way to use a peglodocase in patients who really need it. Uh, there's another study out there about um, lupus and obesity. Uh, and it was sort of interesting, I thought, that uh, obesity is as associated with worse outcomes in lupus as it has been shown in other forms of arthritis, mainly inflammatory arthritis, RA and PSA. Uh, and here it's, a, it's been shown that uh, in 148 patients that it was independently associated with worse disease activity, more depressive symptoms, more pain and more fatigue. The bottom line being that uh, like in other disorders, 
uh, management of nutrition and obesity may be a modifiable behavior that could lead to better disease control uh, and, and better outcomes in patients with lupus. Another lupus study looked at the cardiovascular risks associated with lupus. As you may know, uh, those are increased. It turns out that the risk of cardiovascular events is about the same between patients who have lupus or who have diabetes. And when they looked at claims data uh, for how those patients were treated, and they specifically looked at uh, lipid management, they found that uh, using a Medicaid, a Medicaid claims database, that lupus patients were less likely to be tested for um, their lipid levels, and more importantly, about two-thirds less, by the way, and more importantly, were less likely to fill a prescription, meaning probably be, meaning that they weren't prescribed um, a, a statin or an anti uh, or, or lipid lowering agent than those with diabetes. Again, 82% uh, of lupus patients receive, receive, were less likely to receive a statin compared to the diabetics who were more likely to receive statins. Again, another behavior by physicians that could significantly change the outcome of our patients with lupus. Uh, a nice paper is out there in JAMA looking at the uh, effects of marketing on prescribing. As you know, there's very good data that shows that marketing efforts do pay off in, um, in prescriptions, which is one of the reasons why we no longer have dinner meetings. We only have promotional, promotional dinner meetings because of, of a number of different factors, and watch for that next week in room now. I'll be writing a blog on that. But nonetheless, um, uh, an analysis of, of prescribing patterns uh, and marketing prescriptions, and uh, uh, excuse me, marketing efforts and prescribing and prescriptions written in 2014 and 2015 showed that physicians who were not engaged in a marketing effort that was promotional for opioids, were, they had their prescriptions go down in 2015 compared to 2014. You'd expect that given the notoriety of the uh, opioid epidemic, etc. However, if physicians had been the target of a marketing effort, um, such as receiving a meal or being engaged as a consultant, uh, etc., those, those people actually had their prescriptions for opioids go up in 2015. So it turns out that for those who actually were um, um, targeted as far as marketing, that they had uh, almost 10% more opioid prescriptions um, than, than did those who did not. I guess the bottom line, the number that I thought was sort of shocking was for every industry meal that was consumed, this was associated with a 0.7% increase in opioid claims, meaning opioid prescriptions. Um, that's sort of uh, a bit shocking, um, but that shows you the power of marketing and why even a simple meal um, may have undue influence. Uh, there's a study out there also looking at what, ha what happens in ankylosing spondylitis, and specifically women. I thought this was a very interesting study because, although it was a small study, I think it was 122 patients, 40% uh, of whom had women, they looked at the durability of, of uh, therapies over time. So these are 122 who went on uh, a biologic, specifically a TNF inhibitor, and they showed that uh, women had less uh, durability of TNF inhibitors, they stayed on TNF inhibitors less than did men. So again, it's a 10-year follow-up study, a mean follow-up of about 5.1 years. Overall, women were more likely to go off the TNF inhibitor. Their durability was only 33 months compared to a mean of 45 months in men. 
women were, were more likely to change TNF inhibitors to, and switch drugs. And although the, and those were both significant changes uh, that were noted for women. Uh, and that, uh, not significant, but a trend, was that women were more likely to stop all anti-TNF therapy than did men. The bottom line here is that women are, and men with spondylitis are totally different. We know that, that we know that actually because you know women are, are are present differently. They are often diagnosed much later. They're often misdiagnosed until late. Um, men tend to be diagnosed early and based on classic inflammatory low back pain, etc. Women, uh, it's it's much much later that they are diagnosed. They may ha also ha not have just uh, axial symptoms. May have peripheral symptoms. And the data that's very disturbing is that women tend to have a lot more pain. Uh, with their spondylitis than do men. Uh, these su suggest that women with ankylosing spondylitis are a significant challenge uh, and one that needs to be met with more research uh, and maybe more targeted efforts uh, on their behalf. That's it for this week at roomnow.com. Actually, we'll end with a, qu a quiz. The FDA approval of tocilizumab for polyarticular JIA now makes this how many drugs that are approved for polyarticular JIA. I'll tell you that there's 10 biologics that are approved for use in adult rheumatoid arthritis, a polyarticular condition, and you know these. Infliximab, etanercept, adalimumab, galimumab, sertilizumab, abatacept, rituximab, tocilizumab, cerilumab, and anakinra. So what are the uh, drugs that are actually also approved and how many of these 10 are approved in kids? I would insert music here that you would get to answer that question. And the answer, the answer is four. Um, now with the approval of tocilizumab, we have four biologics that include etanercept, adalimumab, and abatacept. That's it for this week's quiz. Go to the website, look up more about these particular news stories. If you want to see the links and read the whole story, be sure to tune in next week for more news at roomnow.com. Tell your friends about the podcast. We'll see you soon.